don't just talk about wanting to be great. Every, everybody wants to win, you know, but or what are you willing to do to, to be great? And I think those things can start showing themselves at a young age, you know, kids that are disciplined, that are, you know, up at six in the morning doing, you know, workouts before they go to school. Um, you know, kids who are, you know, always wanting to play. I mean, they're, they're, that's all they want to do. And, and I tell guys all the time, you're going to lose some friends along the way trying to be great because people want to bring you down and not everybody wants to do what it takes to, to be great. And so along the way, people, people are going to drop off to the wayside if you're truly doing the things to try and be the best. Welcome back to another season of Up Close and Personnel. If you're tuning in for the first time, this show began back in March when the COVID pandemic locked us all up in our homes. And I had the privilege of interviewing 20 rock stars across the country on recruiting and personnel. Since our last conversation, I've had more COVID tests than you can imagine. My Dallas Mavericks were eliminated from the playoffs and I had a time to, to really take a step back and to evaluate the show, reassess, and plan out this second season so that we would bring you the best content possible. This weekend does mark the first full one of college and pro football games. So I'm even more excited to say that football is finally back. For season two, I wanted to bring in a different perspective from another sport to draw parallels and really think outside the box. So episodes are going to be shorter due to time constraints. I've got meetings, we've got recruiting meetings, walkthroughs, practices, meeting times, all those sorts of things that go into a regular season. And so do other people that we're going to bring on the show. So again, please continue to give us some feedback, subscribe, rate, and share the show because that's the only way this thing grows. In this week's episode, I had the pleasure of being joined on the show by Trip Couch, assistant coach with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Trip is entering his fourth year with South Carolina after coaching stops at Southeastern Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette, and most notably, the University of Houston, where we connected. Tripp also spent nine and a half years scouting for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we touch on that in this episode. So our our wide-ranging conversation draws parallels between football and baseball recruiting, and we peel back the onion, as Tripp would say, on his philosophy for evaluating. From the challenges faced during COVID to how to approach scouting games in person, judging the character of a recruit, and just building your Rolodex of players, as we've talked about on this show before. Trip brings so much insight to the table, and I'm excited to bring you this conversation. So without further ado, here's this week's episode of Up Close in Personnel with South Carolina assistant baseball coach, Trip Couch. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um... Coach Tripp, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've been together and uh, obviously our paths crossed when we were at Houston and I uh, had a great deal of respect for you and, and what, what you guys were doing with the program then. And, you know, Houston was a home to me for a long time, you know, went to school there and, uh, you know, spent 30 years in the city, either scouting or coaching. So, uh, you know, it's good, it's good to uh, be be on with a uh, 
with a familiar face uh, back home. Yeah, and I, I love the way you guys, you know, Coach Whitting, I mean, just the, the things that y'all did with the program. And you really built up that program. You were able to see it at so many different levels from having been a player and being a student coach, working your way up. I think that's, that's something that I definitely want to get into in a second. But Houston became your home away from home, but now you're kind of back home, right? Absolutely. I, you know what? I grew up in North Carolina, and then I left in 1984 to go to school and at U of H. And, uh, you know, I never knew I would stay there, that, stay in the city that long, but the, that, that city became home to us, and, and both our daughters were raised there. And, uh, but this opportunity to come to South Carolina, um, you know, with a great head coach and, you know, obviously the program that's got the tradition that we have, it's in the SEC, it's won national championships. And then, uh, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes away from where I grew up, where my mom and my, my sister and, and family live. So, uh, you know, it was just a, a, an opportunity to, you know, like you said, come back to, to my true home where I grew up. But, uh, you know, we'll never forget our time, you know, because Houston is that is that home to my daughters. Um, you know, that's what all they knew. But uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been a great opportunity. Uh, you know, it was a program that, like I said earlier, had, had great tradition here, um, needed to, to do a few things to get it back to that point. And I think we're, you know, very close now. We, this is going into our fourth year here. And, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're finally, I think, on somewhat little solid ground of in terms of uh, being able to go into these SEC weekends and and have uh, players that you know a, a team that's representative of what, what we need to do and uh, to to get back to Omaha yeah and, and obviously you understand that most of the people I brought on all the people I brought on this show so far have been the football side but really wanted to bring you on because you've scouted at the pro level You've been a recruiting coordinator, your assistant coach. You've kind of done everything baseball-wise as far as building rosters and building teams. And a lot of football scouts and football recruiters are complaining about, I mean, it's been a difficult year for us, you know, losing all the different evaluation periods. But I think what gets lost in the shuffle is that you guys got completely shut down. And I just kind of bring me up to speed on how difficult this year has been from a recruiting standpoint, because I know there's such a, a high emphasis on getting live evaluations and, and having showcases and stuff like that. So how have you guys adjusted, especially, you know, during this COVID time period from, you know, a roster building, you know, recruitment standpoint? There's a lot of layers to that onion right now. One, baseball recruiting has gotten um, very out. I mean, we're, we're recruiting years in advance now. And, and I don't know if that, that that's a great thing um, for anybody, but the fact of the matter is, is that's, that's where our sport has gone. And so in one sense, um, you know, your, your 21 class at, uh, you know, at a lot of the bigger schools was, was pretty full, was pretty full at this point in time. And so I, I think that allowed, you know, not to have to, panic and, and, um, you know, for, for a program like ours, you know, like I said, our, most of our 21 recruiting was done, um, to, to a degree. Um, but the 22s, 23s, we're recruiting 24s, um, is, uh, 
you know, that, that was a challenge a little bit, just getting used to, okay, you know, we're going to have to do this virtually. We're going to have to watch a lot of videos. Um, we're going to have to rely on some people um, to, to give us honest evaluations and make the best decisions that we can. Um, I think people approached it from a lot of different angles. Um, you know, we've tried to take a very, I don't know if cautious is the right word, but uh, the uh, approach that, hey, we're not in a big hurry. There's still plenty of time. This is going to, we're going to all get through this. Um, we're going to get back on the road at some point. We're going to be able to have kids in camps again. And so I don't know that you have to just rush to do, um, to make all those decisions. Um, I think everybody's got a little bit different philosophy on it. I think some schools have certainly uh, offered numerous kids and, you know, we'll figure that out as they go. And, but for us, it's been more of a, hey, let, let's only do things that we feel really, really confident about, that, that we feel like we have really good information from people that we really trust, um, that the things we've been able to see on video are, you know, the, the true reality. But it's tough because video doesn't tell the whole story about the person. And um, when I was brought up in this business 30 years ago, I mean, starting 30 years ago, you know, you went to the games and, you know, something that a, a veteran scout told me was, you know, just go there and let the players come to you and don't try and force the player. And that's, a, that's really difficult to do on a video. Um, and that's something that I missed in this last however many months since March we've been doing this is just being able to go to these events, whether it be a showcase, whether it be a big tournament, whether it be a Legion game, a high school game, and let the players expose themselves to you. Um, and, and I think that's something that is um, very difficult to do in this age. And I, and I think that's where probably there's mistakes made on both sides because uh, again, you know, a Twitter video, uh, you know, in your world, more the huddle video. I mean, they, they show all the good things and that's great, but there's a lot of things that players have to deal with in all sports, you know, with failure and how do you respond to that? And, you know, what's your interaction with your teammates and, you know, how, how do your teammates respond to you both when you succeed and when you fail and that, that stuff's really hard to see on a live stream or on a, you know, like I said, on a huddle video or a, you know, Twitter video. And um, so I think that's part of why, um, you know, we've taken a, a somewhat cautious, um, more patient approach during this, the understanding that there's a lot of great players out there. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to have time to find them in the, in the traditional way. Um, so we've tried to kind of walk that middle ground a little bit of not burying our head in the sand by any means and just saying, you know, we're not going to do this until um, this opens up. But we're also not just, uh, you know, throwing offers out left and right to, to people and, and seeing what sticks on the wall. Yeah, there's no reason to panic. And um, we've kind of been forced into that into that situation as well, because we've always had the the mindset of every offer is going to be committable. So we would rather take our time and, and be really careful and selective than just throw out a bunch of offers and, you know, pick up the dust after it settles. Every single week I have somebody on, it's all centered around 
kind of like your recruiting philosophy and, and you touched on it a little bit. I've heard you talk a couple of times about trust and not just trust on the field, but trust off the field and trust in the classroom. Like if, if you don't have that level of trust with the player, you're making a, a, a bad investment on your part or, or a bad decision as a program. So in your mind, what makes somebody a good recruiter? You know, I, I think it's a lot of things. I, I think that, that the words you use there, trust, is really um, important. I, th I think having some discipline and maturity is very important. Um, I'm a firm believer that you can't be undisciplined in your life for 21 hours a day and then all of a sudden decide, you know, during the three-hour baseball game, I'm going to be very disciplined and I'm going to, you know, be reliable. Um, that's not to say that we all, when we were 18 to 22 years old, you know, we're trying to fit, find our way in life and find our way of how to be all those things, disciplined and responsible and all those things. But I, I think especially at the levels that I've been fortunate to coach at now in the SEC, um, but at Houston, we were a top 25 type program. Um, and, you know, at Texas, obviously a, a blue blood uh, program in our sport. Um, you know, and even with the dime, I mean, you're looking for people, the people that make it and the people that succeed are the ones who can figure out, in my opinion, at the earliest age, all the things that it takes to be great. And, and you talk to young people about, you know, if, if it was easy, everybody would be great. And what are you doing different to separate yourself, whether it's, you know, the, your nutrition, whether it's your strength and conditioning, um, the way you handle your academics, just the way you handle your life. Um, I think those things start showing themselves at an early age. And you, if you ask the right questions and ask the right people, um, you can find some of those answers. It's, a, it's certainly not a perfect science, but uh, I think that's, that's a real key is, is finding those guys who truly don't just talk about wanting to be great. Every, everybody wants to win you know, but or what are you willing to do to, to be great? And I think those things can start showing themselves at a young age, you know, kids that are disciplined that are, you know, up at six in the morning doing, you know, workouts before they go to school. Um, you know, kids who are, um, you know, always wanting to play. I mean, they're, they're, that's all they want to do. Um, and, and again, that's, it's hard to come through that because it's easy you know, all these kids go to different showcases and events and they do the right things. They're at the right events, but how are you going about that? You know, are you watching this kid's body get stronger over the time or are they just kind of stay in the same and, you know, are they, do they have a growth mindset of, um, you know, again, just being great. And I tell guys all the time, you're going to lose some friends along the way trying to be great because, people want to bring you down and not everybody wants to do what it takes to, to be great. And so along the way, people, people are going to drop off to the wayside if you're truly doing the things to try and be the best. And I don't know, I've kind of rambled on there, but it, you know, it's all those things together where you, you know, you ask those questions and you, you try and find those kids who are just, you know, truly, you know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk in terms of, you know, what they want to do to be the best.
So when, when you're meeting with a kid or maybe when maybe it's better to reframe this, when you're talking to a coach about one of his players that you're looking at and you're trying to, to really dig deep on, Hey man, what does he, what does he do for the 21 hours away from ball? How do you go about getting that information? Cause I know that just reading the Cubs way, Theo Epstein, he always talks about information as currency, especially in the draft. So it's, it's every piece of information. It's not necessarily one piece that's going to be more important than the other. You have to take the whole, the whole of the parts. Um, so I guess, where do you start from, from questioning standpoint of, of getting that info and getting to that answer of like, okay, I feel good about this kid's makeup. You know what? I, th I think it, it, it is. It's, it's a whole of the parts and it depends where you started that process. Um, you know, I think to some degree we, we've, we've, we don't have the high school coaches involved as much as I think we should sometimes. And so you try and go to them. Um, they're with them every day. Um, you know, the, the setting we see them at most in is with their travel ball team. And so obviously, you know, the people there around in that environment um, are valuable and important resources for that information. Um, and it's, and it's, I don't know. I always tell people recruiting is not exact. There's no two cases that are exactly alike of how the picture all comes together, you know, of who the person is that, that really gives you that, you know, feeling in your gut that, Hey, this is the right guy. And sometimes it's the high school coach. Sometimes, you know what, it's the parent of a teammate who, uh, you know, may not be the best player on that team, but, sees this get this player because obviously we're recruiting usually the best player wherever they are and so that breeds jealousy sometimes for that player um, because they're getting di different attention than others and you know so it may be a, it may be just a common relationship you have you know or you run into of someone who else is on that team um, who has no you know, dog in the fight whatsoever, but says the right thing about this, this guy that, you know what, this guy's unbelievable teammate, this, you know, you should see what this guy does, um, you know, how he makes his teammates better. There, I just don't think there is a silver bullet. I think each, I, I just think each case is unique unto itself and you, you try and put the puzzle together and it's just as if no two puzzles are exactly the same. It, it's, you just, you just don't know sometimes where that information is going to come from that puts you over the top that makes sense. Um, but if you keep hearing the same thing from different, um, from different perspectives, um, and that's how we've done a lot this summer. Um, you know, we're, when we've committed some, some kids that we have not had the, uh, the opportunity to, you know, be in person with them and things like that. But you have just random people telling you the same things about this that are not, you know, connected. You know, you know what this keeps, this keeps coming back to, uh, you know, this thing checks out, you know, what, to be what you're looking for. I think it takes a ton of discipline to actually execute on that because like I, I seriously like commend you like that approach because it's kind of what you talked about um, when you go to games 
you got to let the players expose themselves. You got to let the players come to you because it's so easy to try to talk yourself into a guy because you liked him early in the process and you get more information gets to, you know, that confirmation bias where like, okay, well, it's because of this or it's because of that. So now I, I think that's pretty spot on. So who's the best recruiter you've been around and why? Cause I know you've been on multiple different staffs. Um, who's the best recruiter you've been around and why? Uh, the best recruiter I've ever been around in college baseball bar none is turtle Thomas. Um, turtle Thomas was, you know, we obviously never worked together, um, but Turtle was uh, the recruiter at Miami. He was a recruiter at LSU, recruiter at Arizona State, uh, later became the head coach at Florida International. He's now the uh, catching instructor for the Texas Rangers. But uh, Turtle was a legend in our business when, when I started, and we, we were, I was fortunate to develop a relationship um, with him um, and – you know, he was just a relentless, tireless worker. I mean, Turtle Turtle wanted to know the name of every player in America. And um, and I used to tell him, I'd say, Turtle, it doesn't really matter if you know every guy in America. You just need to get the best 10 or 12 for your school. And, um, he's, and he calls everybody big guy. And he, big guy, I know, but yeah, I got to know them all. I got to know them all. And, um, you know, it, Turtle was a guy that uh, was, you know, I don't think people really understood him totally um, when he was doing it because when Turtle went to the games, Turtle wasn't there to socialize. Turtle was there to watch, watch the games. And, um, you know, and so people never, a lot of people never got to know him and, and formed some probably unfair opinions and when people would share some opinions with me about him, I would always ask them, do you know Turtle? And the answer was usually no, I've never met him. And so I said, well, before you have a, you know, an opinion, um, I think you ought to get to know him. Uh, but that, that just always stuck with me. And, and I enjoy the camaraderie on the road. And I enjoy, you know, there, there's a lot of really good guys in our industry that I think, you know, work hard and do a very good job. Um, but I just always kind of took Turtle's persona. I, I thought of, you know, I go, go to the games, you know, watch the games, do your work, and go back to the hotel and start back the next day. I was just never the, the social guy on the road, um, you know, uh, going out to dinner with everybody or doing whatever. But I, I, I think I got some of that from, from him back in the day. And so I, I've always held him as the gold standard in our business of recruiting, um, just of the work ethic he, he put into it, um, the passion that, that he put into finding a player. Um, and, you know, again, there's, there's lots of good ones, and that's not to discount. I mean, you could ask 15 guys, and they'd give you 15 different answers of who the best are. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, the – guys get labeled the best recruiters because they're at, um, you know, big schools and they're getting, you know, really good players. And I just always felt like, Hey, come do it at Houston, come do it at Rice back when Rice was winning national championships and, you know, Mike Taylor and, and those guys were, were, you know, putting things together there for coach Graham. And um, so I, I don't know. I, I think, 
how people define a good recruiter is is different maybe in my mind sometimes but again I always and, and Turtle fell into that category he was at big schools and great schools but I just I learned from him the way he went about it and um, you know the, just the grind that he and I hate that word everybody uses that all you gotta do is wake up now anymore and you're grinding but uh, but yeah. Turtle truly did he, I mean, that guy got after it every day, um, you know, from start to finish. First one at the ballpark, last one to leave. And um, so, you know, I took a lot from just how he did it. And, and I didn't know him at first. I just I just saw him from afar. But then we developed and, and have an unbelievably close relationship now. Um, but uh, so I don't know. I think people – you know, you always see things of the best recruiters and it's funny, they're always at the schools that are the, the best schools, right? You know, that um, the biggest and uh, shiniest. And uh, so sometimes that's not it. Sometimes it might be, uh, you know, the guys at Southeastern Louisiana that uh, got to go find guys that, uh, you know, nobody's ever heard of. And I think that's a lot of what we did at, at Houston was, uh, you know, we recruited a lot of kids that, you know, they weren't on lists or ranked or, uh, but I think you have to, um, and, and that's what the, you know, some of those guys, the guys like Turtle taught me, but also I was really influenced by a lot of veteran scouts when I started in this business because the pro scouts were a tremendous help at that point in time because we were recruiting the same age players that they were going to see. And so, you know, they were so integral in, you know, one teaching me as an evaluator, but two, pointing us in the right direction of players. Now we're recruiting guys so young that a lot of the pro scouts don't know who they are yet because they're more focused on, you know, obviously the older age groups. But so anyway, that's a long-winded answer to tell you. To me, it's turtle. <laughs> it's the best. No, I, I think that's really cool, especially, you know, just just learning the, the grind, the, the actual grind, not, not just talking about it, being about it. Um, I got two quick questions before I, I got to let you go. Um, the first one is like, so we just were able to contact juniors just, you know, September one, you know, just a week ago from today. And um, I can't imagine getting all the way to 2024 right now. So how do you guys recruit at that level and, and project the talent? Because it's, it's such a projection um, and kids are so young. I, I know you have to get out in front of it. Um, you know, without dropping any names, I, I know a, a player that's on our team. He's got a sister that, you know, committed when she was like a, a freshman. Um, and I know that's kind of normal in your world, uh, but it's definitely not normal in our world football wise. So I, I, I guess like, how do you, how do you begin that projection process and, and get out in front of, recruits so so early I think you have to I think at that young age you really have to go to the athleticism component and you know I think kids show themselves um as as a as a pretty good athlete at a young age now whether they have the refined skills whether they have the strength um to to do it that that part is where I think a lot of the projection comes in. The athleticism is important because that's not going to go away usually. Um, 
you know, most time kids that are great athletes are great athletes when they're eight, 10, 12 years old, um, you know, and they continue to be a great athlete. They've just got to, you know, develop physically uh, from a strength perspective, from a skill perspective. So, you know, I think you look at the young kids and you ask yourself, you know, it's, if this kid didn't change at all, really, you know, could they bring something to the table? And that is probably, you know, one of the jumping off points is that, um, you know, is a kid six foot three and athletic at, you know, as a freshman in high school. Well, if he stays six foot three, he's going to still fit in, you know, in the SEC or, you know, the AAC, whatever league, um, you know, and he has athleticism and he's showing some aptitude for the game, then I think that's where the projection comes in. Um, you know, it, it is though, it's tough because they change, because, you know, kids change so much. And I think that's why you guys, I mean, size matters so much in your sport. Um, not that it doesn't in ours, but, um, you know, you, you can't take a, I wouldn't guess, you can't take an offensive lineman that's, you know, five foot 10, 180 pounds and, and bank on that he's going to turn into six foot two, you know, 300 pounds or whatever they need to be. I mean, but they change, but, you know, between their, you know, junior and senior year. So it makes, I mean, that's why, but it, it happens in our sport too. I mean, there's so many good players that evolve and show themselves because of the natural maturation of their, their bodies um, that there's still a lot of good players that, are available in the 21 class because you know what, they, they finally hit their growth spurt and they finally, you know, that the strength component kicked in. And uh, so it is, I mean, what we're doing is, I mean, I think it's a little bit crazy to, to be honest with you to, you know, I think, I think it's putting unfair pressure on families and kids when you're doing it that young and, and I think some kids feel like, hey, if I haven't been recruited by the time I'm a sophomore, you know, is this going to happen for me? And, you know, you just try and reassure people that you're going to be fine. If you, you know, just, you know, just because somebody didn't recruit you when you're a sophomore doesn't mean you're not going to end up at a, you know, big time school, um, you know, a year later. But I don't have the perfect answer other than I think athleticism is a key at that young age. Yeah, anything that's translatable, and you can refine the rest of that. That's coaching and development. Right. So you worked nine and a half years in, in the league with the Diamondbacks, and you entered right after they won the 01 World Series. You were a part of bringing in guys like Wade Miley, Paul Goldschmidt, um, some really kind of key pieces that, that have been the foundation for that team for a long time. What what were some things that you took from the scouting process of the league back to the college level? I think, um, you know, just I was around a lot of great evaluators, and I think you start building a database over the years of what works and what doesn't work. Um, and I think that's what, what helps you um, because you just – I mean, you, you start creating this Rolodex of players that you've seen and, you know, you know what they looked like when they were, you know, I know what Paul uh, Goldschmidt looked like from the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, 
been through his time at Texas State, or uh, Robbie Grossman, who's you know the uh, an outfielder for the A's, or Randall Gritchick with the Blue Jays. I mean, you saw their evolution over time, and you saw you know why they were successful, and then and then you saw other guys who were high draft picks but never made it that no one's ever heard of again, and. You know, I, I think you just go back and, and you learn lessons. And, you know, a great example would be the same year that we drafted Paul Goldsmith, which, um, you know, we as an organization obviously I think did a good job on that. And I had known Paul for a long time, had had great relationship. And, and so, you know, we get Paul in the eighth round and, you know, I'm the smartest scout. We're the smartest team in the world, you know, four or five years later. But the thing I always go back to is that same year in 2009, you know, Brandon Belt was at the University of Texas and Brandon was from Lufkin and um, was originally drafted as a pitcher and went to San Jack and uh, then went to Texas. And I didn't turn Brandon Belt in. He was nowhere on my list to be found, you know, as a draft pick at the University of Texas. And, you know, I look back on that and say, how, you know, how did you miss, you know, how are you the smartest guy in the world on Paul Goldschmidt and you don't even turn Brandon Belt then to get drafted? And the lesson I learned was I hated, I did not like the way that Brandon Belt did it. I thought it was ugly the way he did it at Texas, his, his stance, his approach, things like that. But the thing I didn't respect him for was that he did it. And, you know, he did something that's the hardest skill. One of the hardest skills to do in athletics was, is to hit a baseball. And so I just think you learn from all those different experiences in your databases of going, Hey, if a guy can do this skill, you know, just because it doesn't always please your eye, the way he's doing it, um, turn on your TV. Now watch a major league game. I, I'm sure there's things that translate to that in football where, you know, there's an ideal look you want a guy to do a certain skill to do, but there's some guys who can do it at the highest levels that may not do, do it at the way that, you know, people think it should look. And so, I don't know, I just took those things from it. And, um, you know, I always, and, and Augie Garrido, when I worked for him at Texas, I always would say, you know, anybody can sit in the stands and figure out what they can't do. You know, then, I mean, we can figure all that stuff out, but what can they do? And so, I don't know. I think it's a combination of all those different things of, you know, just being around great evaluators who would point out things that, you know, why guys will fail, um, whether it be from a physical or a mental perspective or, you know, uh, you know, or just being negative, you know, of not – what it, you know, point out what they can't do. I'll, I'll give you one last example on that. And somebody that's right there on your campus. And, and I, and I, and I love Paul Giannis to death as a, you know, I love Paul when he was a player, um, as a person, I, I think he checks all the boxes as just a superhuman being. And, you know, when Paul was at Rice, he was a great shortstop and, um, you know, everybody knew he could play shortstop. Everybody, there were a lot of questions whether Paul could hit at a high level. And I never will forget Mike Rizzo, who's now the GM of the Nationals, 
was my scouting director at the time. And uh, his dad, Phil, who recently passed away, he would send to different areas to spend a week with, you know, scouts and watch some of the better players. And we're sitting at Rice one day and we're watching Paul play. And, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about him and what a, what a good defender he is. And, you know, and I'm falling in the trap of going, you know, Phil, I'm just not sure that he can really hit at this level. And so Phil pulls up the stat sheet and uh, he's looking at it and he, and we're about three fourths of the way through the season at this point in time. And he, and uh, he says, why don't you think he can hit? I go, well, you know, he's just never hit a whole lot, blah, blah, blah. He said, he's got 200 at-bats. He struck out four times. Not his fault where the ball's going when he leaves his bat. He, he goes, hey, he's not striking out all the time. Maybe he'll figure it out. Well, Paul ended up playing pretty good period of time in the big leagues. Never was a great hitter but he hit enough to get to the big leagues. And so it's just lessons like that where you sit and listen to people who have done it for a while. And it just simple things people will throw out at you of, you know, don't overthink this thing, you know, look in, you know, peel the onion back. I use that term a lot of, of just, uh, you know, what can he do? You know what? He put the ball in play all the time and he wasn't striking out. So maybe he can be a productive, move the ball around and, and play a very high level defense. And so I think it's a lot of those things that I took from pro ball, just my experiences of, of, of those things and learning lessons of, you know, don't, don't always just make an assumption to the negative, um, you know, because it doesn't please your eye or it doesn't, you know, fit the narrative that you're trying to, to fit it into. Yeah, no, I think that's, you, you talked about a lot of things that we've talked about multiple times in the show. So Matt Lindsay, who worked at South Carolina um, for a few years uh, before just now leaving for Ole Miss, we, we talked about, you know, your Rolodex of players and not just knowing what the finished product is, but really taking the time to like do the, the autopsy of like, okay, why was this guy successful? Why was he not successful? What did he look like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year? Um, Trip, this this has been awesome. Um, where can our listeners follow you on Twitter or, or social media? What's the best way for for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm uh, Trip Couch Eleven um, is as the Twitter. Um, you know, again, I'm a I uh, I'm a retweeter more than a uh, opinion giver out in the uh, social media world. So, uh, but no, I appreciate you having me. I think them, you know. These conversations are great and they, you know, and they're, I think they're good, you know, for, for me to, it's a reminder too of, you know, to keep reminding yourself to stay true to, you know, what you believe in and not get caught up in the noise that's out there. And, uh, you know, just, you know, you know, you believe what you believe, you, you keep learning every day. Um, I think you have to have a, a growth mindset and, I mean, I've been doing it a long time, but don't have all the answers for sure. But uh, I've been really fortunate that a lot of I've, I've been around a lot of great people who I, I think hopefully have helped shape, you know, my ability to to pick some pick some players and, and make the right choices. Now, my dad's going to be happy about this one because he he was just like you. He was a bullpen catcher for Auburn, uh, made sure he was on the travel squad. And uh, he's, he's always talking baseball with me so again appreciate you for jumping on the show and uh you have a good rest of your day all right man thanks alex i appreciate it. it's great being here great seeing you
Good seeing you too, Trip. See you. See you, man.